What's up, Fight Fan? You are listening to MMA Daily, the podcast where we bring you the latest in the world of mixed martial arts. It is Tuesday, January 28, 2020. My name is Gabriel. You can find me on social media at Double G on TV. I'm joined by my co-host, Natalie Zamudio. Hello, Double G. What's going on, man? How you doing? Hello, Natalie Z. Um, You know what? So... To, let's be honest, I'm a SoCal guy, you're a SoCal girl, we've been out here, um, I am that age where I literally, you know, I've never not known a world where Kobe wasn't a Laker and part of it, and so, yeah, I mean, it's kind of everywhere, right? It's, uh, it's hard to escape it, it's been um, a very rough couple days. Uh, I will say this, when people say it doesn't feel real, no, really, it does not feel real. Just everything, I still remember hearing the news and I was like, no, that's like, come on, that's like when they say the comedian died and he's out in the Bahamas vacationing with a Mai Tai. No, like, don't be stupid. And man, it's just been a cold reality the last two days. And, uh, you know, just the mood, you see it everywhere and it's, it's really rough, honestly, just the whole story. It's so tragic. And, you know, I, I can't add, add anything more except, you know, my condolences to the Bryant family and everyone else who is on the chopper. Yeah, man, it's really tough. And like, I woke up in the middle of the night, you know, to feed my son. And I just like, how the you know, the first thing that I thought of, you know, even though my son was <laughs> asking for food was, man, I can't believe Kobe Bryant's dead. Like, I couldn't believe it. Couldn't process it still. It's still crazy to see all the, yeah, as you say, all the coverage, news coverage, local news, national, uh, cable channel, new cable news, ESPN, all the sports channels, everywhere you look online. And if you just stop and think about how it all went down for a second, it's just it's almost too hard to stay in that in that zone. It's really tragic. It's unreal, and and damn man, like. Ah. LA lost a LA lost a hero, man, and and it's a true bummer. And yeah, just hoping for the best for his family because, and the families of everyone else that that lost somebody from that helicopter because it's, it's it's a serious serious tragedy. So, you know. you know, and we were talking off the air. I always say, you know, and I've seen this, and it's like all the photos. You know, it's always going to be tragic. Because in all the photos of Gianna and him, you know, still so young and full of life. And I think that's, you know, that's why it's really rocking people. And like I said, you know, he is the Michael Jordan to many people. He was the guy lighting it up and, um, you know, just very tragic. So, you know, final message, because I I feel like I know people kind of need a little bit of space. And I definitely get that. So, you know, we're going to give you guys a show. We're going to deliver it with that signature mamba mentality but you know yeah final message obviously you know embrace the people around you i think that's the big thing everyone has taken from this because you really never know and this is unfortunately a big reminder but yeah um much love to the brian and other families and much love to you natalie and let's have a good show huh okay right back at you man let's do it all right so obviously we're coming off a double header of an mma weekend UFC and Bellator in the UFC had the fight between Curtis Blades and Junior Dos Santos. We're actually going to talk about that one second because I feel like, and 
mind you, to their credit, it tends to happen. The Bellator show kind of outshone the UFC show with the star power, with a lot of the headlines going on. So the big news from it, Chris Cyborg absolutely demolishes Julia Budd to become the Bellator featherweight champion. She now has won belts in Bellator, UFC, Invicta, Strikeforce. Every major place that has had a women's featherweight division, she has claimed gold. So just, you know, they call it, they call it a quadruple crown. Very impressive. Julia Budd is no joke. By all accounts, she was the toughest woman out there for Cyborg, not named Amanda Nunes. And Chris Cyborg, really just vintage performance. Absolutely incredible. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Julia Budd did not look like someone, uh, honestly, man, like, she, 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 Chris Cyborg, let's put it this way. Chris Cyborg made Julia Budd look a little bit like an amateur. I feel like Felicia Spencer, um, in, in Chris Cyborg's last UFC fight gave her more of a, of a challenge. You know, she cut her open. She was, she was creative. She was coming out at different angles. Julia Budd kind of stayed right in the middle. Didn't do a whole lot to make it tough for Chris Cyborg. I mean, they, you know, she didn't finish her right away, but once she, once she smelled the blood, once she found the openings, she just assaulted her and until the ref stepped in. It was insane. I couldn't believe it. How was it being there? The crowd sounded like they were going nuts. How, how was the experience for you at the forum? Um, it was a decent pop. And I'd say this, it was very, um, uh, you were there with me for Ryan Bador versus Fedor. I've mm -hmm. been there for the Rory McDonald, Douglas Lima. Then they had Chael and Rampage. I would say that because... Cyborg really took, you know, really was carrying the show. Um, the, the pop was very, it was very palpable. You know, the energy, it wasn't just, ah, uh, this is what we came for. No, you had a lot of SoCal, I'm here for Chris Cyborg fans. And she just gave them the show that they were all expecting, to be honest. And um, it was big. It was very electric. Uh, they, the music, I, I was telling, um, I was with some of the reporters, they, I, and I feel bad because I'm forgetting it right now, but they played like one of those songs that always plays during like the sporting events. And I was like, hey, I am feeling it right now. Like, <laughs> yeah, like I'm just feeling good. Um, so it was quite palpable. I'm with you. I think um, Julia Budd, uh, I feel like there was just a bit of shock out there, you know, yeah. and even she did admit that like I expected her to bring it. I expected her to feel like a brick house. I always go back to something that Marluz Kunin told me when I talked to her about this fight. And, you know, she's the only woman who's fought both Julia and Chris. And she said, Julia is very strong. But when Chris Cyborg hit me in 2009, I legit thought somebody hit me with bricks. Yeah, that's insane. And so I always, uh, and I ran into Marluz and I told her that herself. Um, like, I remember what you told me and thinking, that's the only thing I could feel like Julia was experiencing is that, a bit of a shock. Um, stylistically, I always felt like Chris Cyborg was going to be a little bit cleaner. I felt like Julia, you know, was going to get the advantage, tie her up, maybe mix it up, go for some takedowns. Chris Cyborg made that nearly impossible. And we saw it. It was just kind of one-way traffic out there. And this is not to say that Julia Budd is an incompetent fighter. She has proven it many times. I think that she just stylistically ran into a bad opponent who 
not for nothing, is still arguably the best women's MMA fighter, arguably women's combat athlete of all time. Yeah, man, that was that was something else. I, you know, you called it last week. You picked Chris Cyborg. I went the other way and, you know, happy to be wrong because it was an excellent performance by, by Cyborg. When I was looking at Julia Budd at the end of that, you know, dejected and, and rightly so, I'm thinking if I'm her, I wonder how can I ever beat this woman? Like, what can I do differently to have a different outcome if we get a rematch? I don't know. It's one of those where you got to scratch your head and, and wonder, like, what's next for Julia Budd? Because if, it, if all roads always lead back to Chris Cyborg, that's a, that's a tough, uh, it's going to be tough to get out of bed, tough to find the motivation. I mean, I'm going to hit you with something a little unexpected. In my mind, I actually almost feel like mentally there's a little bit of a benefit because you almost feel like, well, we got to, you know, you feel like you can revamp everything. You could do everything better when you go back to the drawing board, right? Mm -hmm. I think that um, that almost helps in a way, almost like when you get knocked out very quickly, it's like, well, you know, there's you kind of got hit. There's still a lot you could take from it. I think that Julia is the kind of athlete that will go back to the drawing board and it's like, hey, you know, just almost act like it didn't happen. Get back on track. And when you go to the camp, just, you know, you've been in there now. Just start rebuilding from scratch. Um, She's got a team that has led her to a lot of success and I feel like it's there. Uh, Let me toss it to you unless you have more to add on the fight. No, I, I would just say that, that, you know, there is something to that. She certainly has a lot of data points now having faced her and they can have, you know, they can review that footage till they're blue in the face. So, so there is, there is, I suppose, a silver lining for her, but, but yeah, go for it. Um, it's just talking about after that, who's really next. And, um, I like the fact that they made the, the right fight to make, in my opinion, by bringing Cyborg into a title fight immediately. I think now, Bellator has the great thing going on because you still have Julia out there, but also you've reestablished Chris as your star. Um, The thing is, when you look at the Bellator featherweights, Julia Budd kind of ran the coop. So now that you have Chris Cyborg in there, you still feel like everyone else is, you know, a step or two behind her. You have uh, Arlene Blanco who fought Julia Budd twice. Uh, I think a lot of people would tell you that she's the second best uh, featherweight in Bellator before Chris Cyborg got there. Uh, Talita Noguera, powerful woman, great jiu-jitsu. But once again, you look at the Chris Cyborg who just handled business 72 hours ago now, it's hard to see any woman really taking her off the top. Yeah, I don't I don't see it happening. I, it's... Hey, man, Amanda Nunes did it, but it was also... Look, I'm not taking anything away from Nunes, but there was also... Um, a failure of of like a mental failure on cyborg's part right she she just went into full brawler mode and and didn't put up a an intelligent defense or offense so i i I can't forget that when i say that you know that yeah there's really nobody there that that can pose a serious challenge but i mean there really wasn't serious challenges for her at invicta either um and so i think it's just like if I'm cyborg, I'm just happy to, to fight. That's what I love to do. Happy to keep hold on to my belt until I'm ready to retire. She's still young, right? She's 34. I always forget that she's 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 still quite young. 
Yeah, um, I will respectfully say, you know, she's had a lot of fights. She's had a very yeah. long career. And yeah. <clears throat> remember, yeah, she's 34, but she was 24, you know, whooping other ladies. Uh, my thing, um, like, for example, they talk about a Grand Prix. I'm sure she likes it. I'm sure she's seen Ryan Bader and all these other guys with their nice belts with everyone's name on it. If that's what motivates you, I certainly get that. I, I just try to think about it. What can you really do? I mean, is there someone in Ryzen, some co, you know, cross-promotion, co-promotion? I don't know. I don't think so. Um, in terms of anything else, Kayla Harrison from the PFL, I'd argue still needs more seasoning. Obviously, she's a champ now, but I'd still put that kind of, you know, the timing is not right just yet. So uh, at least right now, whoever they give, it's kind of like, I'll say it, Amanda Nunes in the UFC right now, whoever you give her, it's kind of like, you know, there's not a super fight. It's just going to kind of be the next woman's turn. That's what being that dominant will do to the competition. Yeah, totally. It's just like a conveyor belt and like, or she, you know, she's like Pac-Man and she's got her mouth open and they're just going to keep feeding her. I will say at least Bellator has a 145 division, you know, at, at the UFC, it was just, it was Amanda Nunes was a champion and then, you know, a couple of stray cats, N not to disrespect them at all, but that's just how it, how it ended up with the division because they didn't really, really build it. What's good about her, Chris Cyborg being at Bellator is that they're so creative. They're open-minded. You mentioned Ryzen. Hey man, maybe they get, maybe they get on the phone with PFL. You know, yeah, it is a little too soon for Kayla Harrison, but I feel like Cyborg is not going to be around forever. You might as well just do it now. It'll be a little bit like when Floyd May Mayweather fought Canelo it was too soon for Canelo. He wasn't seasoned enough, but it was still a good, you know, it was still a money-making fight. It still got eyeballs, got attention. So if anyone can 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 make a a deal with another MMA promotion, it's going to be Scott Coker and Bellator. They've shown it, and, and people like them. People are happy to do business with them. So let's not rule it out, man. It could happen. No, absolutely. I would love it. I think that it could be cool. Uh, Kayla Harrison coming into the Bellator cage with her little PFL gloves and tries <laughs> yeah. to climb. I mean, the storyline's right there. I, I guess, you know, we're looking for the biggest fight possible, right? Yeah. And you feel like after Julia Budd, Kayla Harrison is kind of the only girl out there. I get it. It definitely, both sides shouldn't rule it out. There's more upside for Bellator than PFL in that deal, though. That's the big thing, but... um. Yeah, who knows? That ground game, you know, Kayla Harrison, you know, two gold medals. More than yeah. the other guy that everyone likes to talk about. What about Kat Zingano? Is she, is she, uh, she's going to be at 145? Yep. Yeah. So Because well, they don't have a Bantamweight division. Right, right, right. Yeah, so, I mean, the smart thing to do is just put the biggest names you have up against her cyborg until you run out of big names and then just keep feeding her whoever's left. I hate so. to say this so bluntly. I just don't think Kat Zingano's big enough. I think that she, you know, when you look at how big Julia Budd is, when you look at how big Amanda Nunes is, I just don't see it working for a, a cat. I just feel like, um, you know, I just feel like she's too outsized. And I get it. It's kind of like, you know, take it or leave it. You know, as soon as she left the uh, UFC, yes, she's a big name, but... Oh my gosh, I just don't see it working out. You know, I feel like she's just, Bantamweight is her spot. I think at featherweight, she's just not going to be as 
carrying the weight as efficiently, just the way she's built personally. That's my yeah. Thing. She'll definitely have to, uh, you know, lose some of the the definition, uh, muscle definition to also, to make the weight. Also, she's never been a home run hitter. When you give Amanda Nunes the credit, she hits hard. Kat Zingano is more of a grappler. She's not really known for you know, putting people down, putting, doing damage with one shot, which is what you feel like you need to stop the onslaught of Chris, right? So Yeah, that's, that's the only way to, to, I mean, we saw it, and that, yeah. that's, it's been proven. That's the only way to, uh, to get her out of there. Yeah, even for the people who have, you know, necessarily not won, that's kind of been the thing you need, right, to get her respect a little bit. Yeah, like um, Felicia Spencer, right? You know, exactly. Elbow and even to the Fel- forehead. Yeah, even Felicia, you know, like not really the heaviest hitter, but got after it a little bit, you know. Same difference. Anyway, I mean, of course we'll find out. Obviously, you know, you got to think that by the summertime is when a lot of people are expecting her second outing. Maybe M- Madison Square Garden. Maybe back in L.A. You never know. But let's talk about some other stuff on the card. Darian Caldwell shocks Adam Borick's to move forward to the semifinals of the Bellator Featherweight Grand Prix. Um, I think a lot of people really just didn't give Darian credit. I think they felt like he was going to look for a takedown that he couldn't secure. Adam, young, athletic kid, was going to just have be well-prepared, kind of ascend to the, ne- the next level. Darian really just shut him down. I was very impressed with that fight. He made it quick. He took care of it. I guess that's the thing. He made that look easy. And I think a lot of people just didn't expect it to go like that. Yeah, 100% did not expect that, especially coming off of the performance he had against Henry Corrales. It was a slow cage, you know, cage grinder. I thought, okay, well, you know, we'll either have the same fight as we had with Corrales or, you know, Adam's going to be able to do what he did to Pat Curran or to to, um, Aaron Pico. Completely surprised, completely shocked. I think Adam probably was too. Um, and he sunk that choke in so deep, man. I felt bad for Adam Borix. Um, speaking of, is it Borix, Borich? I keep hearing both, and I don't know, and so I just alternate when I say it. I have not heard enough people say Borich to feel comfortable saying that and be wrong. Yep. I'm 90% yeah. sure it is, and for our Hungarian listeners, feel free to correct me. You guys <laughs> seem like lo- By the way, Adam was lovely in person. Uh, nice. I talked to him last week, so I apologize, Adam, if I'm butchering it. <laughs> I'm just going to call him Adam. Yeah, you got a bright, bright future, young man. Keep your head up. <laughs> I can't wait to see the next fight. Um, but yeah, yeah, he's special for sure. But yeah, Caldwell surprised us, surprised me anyway, and, and you too, it seems. And uh, good for him because he, uh, I think, to get people more excited about his next his next matchup, he needed to have an exciting finish or an exciting win, and he certainly did. Well, he, he takes on AJ McKee now, which Ooh. is the second biggest name you could fight outside of the Pitbull at this stage of the game. Um, so to peel back the curtain, because everyone with eyes will have seen it and reported it and tweeted it, AJ McKee was actually walking around on crutches. Oh, no. Yes. Now, I did run into him. He did say, I'm not worried. He put down the crutch and did straight walk up, so... He made sure he stood his ground for Darian, which I think a lot of fans appreciated. But this fight isn't exactly about to happen in April, I don't think. You know, I, or it would have to be about May, I feel like. I predict that they're going to be on the undercard 
of um, Bader and Nemkov that they just announced for the 205 title. I think it's going to be a minute. And I think that, that it's probably healthy because you almost want to give... Um, AJ's a young guy, and I hate to say this so bluntly, like it needs protection, but you want to make sure this kid is your investment long-term. More than getting this tournament out of the way, in my opinion, because I feel like he's the guy you could build around. Darian and all that, you know, maybe they go back to 135. You know, Pitbull goes back to 155. You never know. So I would rather they err on the side of caution with how quick they book the fight with AJ personally. Yeah, I mean, whenever they do it, it's going to be... It's going to be exciting because AJ doesn't mess around. He comes out to play, and now we can see that Cal- Caldwell is, is, uh, has some of that in him too. So, all right. I mean, stylistically, he comes from a camp with fantastic wrestlers. You're talking about a guy in Joey Davis. How many national championships does he have? Uh, he worked with Aaron Pico, who obviously you know has been a longtime wrestler. He's wrestled his whole life. I predict him being ready for what Darian brings. I really do. And I think that's what makes it interesting is that can he avoid the grind and maybe get the positions he needs, whether standing up or maybe even get on top of the wolf. I think that's what's going to be interesting because Darian proved that you can't count him out. He gets his hands on you. This is a long fight if you're not up to his acumen. Yep. Oh my gosh. But a lot of good stuff. Uh, Juan Archer... Juan Archuleta got the W over Henry Corrales. Um, that one, quite an oddly paced fight. Um, there was some exchanges, but I know the fans just wanted an all-out brawl. Then you had Aaron Pico returning to the win column with a big knockout. That was fun. Raymond Daniels looking oh, like oh. the second coming of MVP out there. Yeah, very impressive. So a lot. Sergio of good Pettis stuff. too. Oh my God, Sergio Pettis brought the violence. I mean, uh, that was the. Uh, if you didn't have Chris Cyborg lasting so long, you would have said that Sergio had the most violent performance of the night. That was just brutal. I asked him, like, did you? I mean, uh, he hit Alfred Kashakian with so many shots that I was like, Sergio, were you surprised the ref didn't just pull you off of him? And he was just like, he looked at me like, heck yeah, I was. Yeah, like, man, that was crazy. It was Frank Trigg, I think, was the ref, right? Yeah. And I, then, I guess um, I was like, oh, my God, dude. <laughs> like, just let that man take him. And credit to Alfred. I mean, he's a SoCal guy, too. And he, he represented for himself. But, man, that was rough. Um, what's next? I mean, the Bantamweight title is available. I mean... I think it's too soon for Pettis versus James Gallagher, but I wouldn't mind it either. It's exciting. Yeah, I think he's, that's he's the two. A, yeah, he's a big enough name. I feel like they should just—that's what they do with the former UFC fighters, right? They just put them right to the top of the of the queue. So might as well. I think the thing is, and I've said this before, that is the one place where they've really struggled to gain traction is at bantamweight. I think. Um, Besides the Wolf, and obviously they had this happen with Horiguchi, who's technically not a Bellator fighter. He's rising. But, you know, like James Gallagher, the reason he was so exciting is because he's a breath of fresh air. Um, They were trying to build up with Michael McDonald. Michael retired. That didn't happen. But he was a young guy with a lot of upside. They they really struggled. There's not been a lot of, you know, a lot of fish to pick from in terms of free agency and developing guys. So... 
I think that he adds, you know, he adds a little bit of fresh air. And I think that they should really try to capitalize it on it if possible. Oh. Yeah, I think so. And then uh, I know you, I know you're ready to move on, but I just want to say real quick, going back to Henry Corrales and Juan Archuleta. Uh, yeah, I, I was, uh, it sounded like the crowd was a little bit frustrated and I got to admit I was too. Um, I wanted a brawl just as much as uh, everybody else. Archuleta was just, you know, circling that cage, circling that cage, man. Um, what, what did you guys think about it down on, on at Media Row? <clears throat> Confession: We were right in the middle of a quite a few scrums at the time that um, the fight it was taking place for Juan. Um, so I believe we were actually talking to Sergio oh, right nice. uh, right in the middle of a. The Juan Archuleta fight. Um, every time we, every time I looked, I felt like they were throwing a little bit. But I also know that there was a lot of a give and take in that fight in terms of the movement. You know, they'd come in and then they'd kind of just circle and be more careful. So um, it, it was interesting. Uh, I will say that though, uh, a lot of the media row because of the timing. You know, we couldn't get in-depth uh, on the Archuleta fight. That's always tricky, man, when you see something, like you have a person right there that you want to talk to, but you see a fight going on too, and you got to go with the person in front of you. I'm going to give you a confession. I blinked when Aaron Pico threw the left hook. <laughs> I was grabbing something. I think I was reaching for my soda on press row. Next thing I know, I just see him doing the matador, and I'm like, again! <laughs> wow, wow. We're taking away your credentials, mister. <laughs> I felt so bad. It was, oh, man, it was rough, man. man. You should set up, like, your iPhone to record the whole time <laughs> so you can just look back at your phone. But the problem with that, they think you're live-streaming the fight. They that's true, that's true. Look who can't there. It's a great idea, but you can't do it. No, um, let's move on to UFC, huh? Uh, Curtis mm -hmm. Blades, um, man. Okay, this fight was a lot more fun than I think people were giving it credit for by the end of Saturday. I saw Junior trying to do some damage, throw some hands. If anything, to me, what really impressed me was that Curtis was moving well. He, he just seemed to tactically get all the right spots to really keep Dos Santos at the end of it, really defend well. And when he set up that big, what was it? Um, the overhand. My gosh, that just um, that was scary. And it, if I may say so, Curtis looked a little more svelte than I'm used to. I felt like he, you know, looked a little um, little thinner. And I feel like that really helped him because I felt like he just looked a lot faster out out there than his last few performances. Yeah, he was definitely moving in a way that I didn't expect. You know, you want you you look for Junior Dos Santos to be the one bobbing and weaving and having the the slick uh, throwing the slick punches, but Curtis Blades had a had a different plan in mind, and and yeah, man, it was a bummer for JDS because well, he's so he's so likable, he's such a great boxer. You want him to, you know, these older heavyweight fighters they they win, you know, one step forward, two steps back, and so you want to see him get on a little bit of a of a of a a better running track, you know, but. The blades got him, man, and, and the leg thing, I don't know if that was an issue at all. But I, I doubt it, you know, as far as um, his cardio or anything. But, yeah, Curtis Blades came out to make a statement, and his celebration at the end kind of kind of looked a little bit like the Black Beast, like Derek Lewis, you know, when he dropped to the ground there. So um, we'll see what's next for him. But 
it was uh, it was an impressive, unexpected win. That's kind of that's kind of all I can say about it. I mean, let me ask you because now we have a very interesting situation in the heavyweight division because uh, over the weekend you had both. Okay, Stipe, or at least Stipe's manager says he's still struggling with his vision, and they have no plans to get back get him back in action until they are sure he's fine. I hate to say it so bluntly because it always sounds like I'm hating on him when I bring this up. But I listened to Daniel Cormier talk to Ariel Helwani yesterday. And he discussed that he's still feeling a little banged up and that his back is struggling still a little bit after the procedures that he had. And that he even maybe he even shouldn't have fought Stipe back in August. Mm. I hate to say this, but this does, these do not sound like two guys who are about to fight anytime soon. No. If anything, I hate to say it, but the language being used, I almost worry that either of them may not fight again. You know, I, now that is very premature, especially on Stipe's part. But when I was listening to DC, I was almost like, if this doesn't happen by the summer, or if your back does not drastically improve, could this really be it? And on that note, I mean, we're going to talk about where Curtis fits in in a second, but let me just ask you bluntly. You're hearing this and you're reading this like I am. What is your reaction? Like, what do you think of what's going on right now? Yeah, it's interesting. I think that, you know, if anyone's more likely, I, I do believe it is DC and um, to, to just retire, to just not stick around for that last, uh, for that redemption fight. He's pushed off retirement long enough. His family's probably tapping their foot in the corner there looking at their watch. And uh, I think at a certain point, like, he's already gone enough time since losing the belt without fighting. At a certain point, you just kind of probably settle into to life without the belt, knowing that you did still had an amazing career, and it's time to move on, especially if his back is, is still an issue, his health is still an issue. Like, what's the point? You know, and it sounds silly to say this, but now with with this tragedy of Kobe Bryant, I feel like probably a lot of athletes are looking at their career choices a lot a lot differently now uh, because it's like, you know, you're already a certain age. Like, just go enjoy your family and and just the second part of your life. Just go go do it now because you never know. Yeah, not to get dark. <laughs> no, absolutely. I'd also like to point out he's not going anywhere at the desk. For crying That's out right. loud, they had exactly. detail. He even said the story, Kevin Durant, it, and I believe this when he says it, that, you know, what was it? KD said that this is going to be the most popular detail, the Kobe Bryant show where he breaks down fights. Yeah. It's going to be the MMA one. Um, he's still the coach. you got to think his son is getting older. I mean, there's a lot out there for DC. You know, he's will be working Monday, or sorry, what's today? Tuesday. He will be working full-time by Thursday if he were to stop fighting. And also, not for nothing, maybe he's looking at Cain uh, Velasquez right now, his buddy, and seeing him light it up over there in WWE and everything going on. I mean, you really never know. Um, he might be seeing him be like, you know, maybe the grass could be a little greener and maybe, I'm, maybe I am holding on to it a little too long. Now, DC... Certainly, if he gets himself back uh, composed, by all accounts, he's still an elite-level fighter. Like I said about Kane, he can still bring it if everything is working fine. Oh, it's just, 
I go off of what he says, right? I'm not making the jump. He's the one saying he's hurt. That makes me worry for him, plain and simple. And yeah, but um, my point is, if he puts himself together, by all accounts, that's still a great fight. I think the timing is now starting to get a little more concerning. Now, if I'm Curtis Blades, I'll say very bluntly, you almost hope for Rosenstrike to go through Francis Ngannou in about uh, two months from now, to the date. Because it's going to be hard to sell Ngannou Blades for possibly an interim title after Ngannou's already had two victories. Um, and I think stop Blades twice. And even though I think the first one had a little bit of controversy, uh, the second one was very definitive in the first round. So if you're Curtis Blades, certainly there's a little more upside if there's a Rosenstrike victory. Also, if that fight isn't on the table, Alexander Volkov. You take aim at him and you just make yourself that monster in the wings because then that puts pressure on all players involved to get you the big fight. So even if, you know, like it's tough because Nganu and them are out there, he's on a great win streak. He takes out a guy like Volkov. I think that, you know, the UFC is just going to have to make a decision eventually too. Yeah, the heavyweights, like that's, that's a money division. Everyone wants to see that. And if the, the number one fight to make there, which is the trilogy, the, the rubber match with Steep NDC is, is all but dead or, or in, um, in purgatory, then, yeah, you got to move on. And I'm, I'm okay with an interim at this point. And, uh, and it does open things up for, for, for people like Blades. And uh, what, what's going on with Derek Lewis? Uh, he's fighting um, Ilir Latifi, no? Um, oh, in yeah. March. That's yeah. right. Okay. I know. Yeah, I'm just looking at the rankings because he's number six, so I was just curious. I know. It's a lot of MMA to keep track of, isn't it? I know. <laughs> I mean, you know, we're talking about Smash Global now. It's quite a lot. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. You're, uh, that, I saw that. You're the guy you interviewed. Is, uh, he got signed by the UFC. Yes. How about that? Breaking news. The Smash <laughs> Global welterweight champion, his last fight was uh, well, uh, not called, but his Bruce Buffer moment was carried out by yours truly. And we talked about it, the possibility of him getting signed. Daniel Rodriguez, Contender Series alum, will be fighting Tim Means. He trains out of the BMF Ranch, so it's kind of a local fight for him since the, the fight is happening in Rio Rancho. So congratulations, Daniel. Awesome. He really kicked some butt at our last card, so... He was ready, and I think MMA Junkie even said, hey, he keeps on a roll. The UFC knows he's out there, so I'm happy for him. It was a good news. Nice. Let's talk about some MMA news, shall we? So yes. not too much in terms of dramatic bookings. There's no Conor McGregor, Masvidal happening, but there was a big light heavyweight bout announced. The UFC Lincoln card on April 25th has a main event. It's going to feature Anthony Smith taking on Glover Teixeira. Smith hasn't fought since he defeated Alexander Gustafsson last June. He also fought John Jones for the title last year. Glover Teixeira is on a three-fight win streak. He last fought Nikita Krylov back in December, picked up the W. Um, this one, because Anthony Smith, you know, he fought for the title. He won after. This feels like there's more title implications than maybe appear on paper. 
what do you think though about where the winner of this one would go? I'm not sure, man. I was just gonna say I feel like it's kind of like a, a a go nowhere fight uh, as far as the the victor. Um, not terribly excited about it, but I am I am looking forward to seeing how Anthony Smith um, fights. Glover's not not an easy guy. He's crafty, and uh, it would game. be an yeah, and it would be an amazing win for him if he if he beat the guy who just you know just fought Anth- uh, John Jones. So I think it's more uh, more pressure on Glover to move up the ladder there if he gets that win. But yeah, but then what, right? You have Corey Anderson who looked great. Dominic Ray is obviously already uh, in the in the queue there. Thiago Santos, he's still like sidelined with injury, I believe. Right? Yep. It's, it's going to be a while still. So you know, it it could be. It really just, I guess, depends on what happens with, with Jones Reyes, right? So if Jones wins, uh, how quickly does he want to turn things around? And if Reyes wins, I suspect he'll want to go quickly. But if assuming he comes out clean and can do so, um, I mean, for me, the issue with this is it's kind of like the Max Holloway um, Alexander Volkanovsky fight, right? It's like nobody knows when, like they'll get the you know when it's gonna happen but you know we're making all these plans like oh well could the winner be in line and let's say john jones beats dominic reyes and you know what's next the winner of Corey anderson and uh jan blahovich or he moves up to heavyweight um i'm gonna just say right now um i'm gonna tilt my hand a little bit because obviously we're gonna go in depth again next week because the fight's happening with john jones but um I have been feeling that of the options he has available, he would rather fight Reyes, fight the winner of Jan and uh, Corey Anderson, and then, depending on what's going on, just kind of wait to see if Israel Adesanya is going to be there waiting for him in 2021. And, you know, Izzy moves up to light heavyweight and they dance. I feel like that's the blockbuster fight that, quite frankly, would be on John Jones' terms. I think that John, very bluntly, doesn't want to give up that many advantages to fight a heavyweight. I think he feels like, you know, respectfully speaking, he'd already been DC. I think that Stipe, because of the way he lost, maybe that wasn't as appealing anymore. I feel like that's what he's waiting on. And obviously, you know, that. how does that factor into the light heavyweights? Unless he loses... You're just going to have a round robin at the top five. They're all just going to be matched up. But I don't see anybody right now breaking through in 2020. I just don't. Yeah, for, for Jones, uh, as far as heavyweight, yeah. I mean, DC, by the time he's, by the time Jones is, is, you know, done his duty at light heavyweight, DC will be retired. The fight with Stipe is like, whatever. I think the real one, the real exciting one, if not DC, would have been Brock. Obviously, that's off the table. So, so yeah, I like Izzy. They've been talking about it. And Adesanya is not getting any younger, man. So if he wants that big, big fight, which there is no bigger fight for him than John Jones, like in his own weight division, there is no bigger fight. Then, then let's keep that as the eye on the prize for both of those guys for, for, yeah. Were you saying 2021? Yeah. That sounds good to me. I mean, they just released that epic poster with, you know, Izzy and Yoel, it looks awesome. It's like, come on, like, I'm pumped up for it. Let's do it. But, um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I just feel like that's the only way the pieces fall 
in a way that makes sense business-wise. Or, you know, hey, let's be honest. If DC says he wants to retire and UFC is like, hey, we're going to put the bag on the table for John versus Stipe, I could see that happening. But I think that thinking optimistically, no one gets hurt. These fights play out the way we're expecting them to. I don't really see how John wanting to go up to heavyweight over possibly fighting Izzy. And I also hate to say this because it's one of my least favorite things, but when they're like, oh, don't make the big fight immediately, it's got to it's gotta simmer, it's got to build up, right? It's like, man, that is playing with fire. But I feel like they're doing exactly that in terms of a possible Adesanya-John Jones fight, very simply. Yeah, it's true. There's, you know, the... the the main example is always Mayweather Pacquiao, right? Yeah. You let it, you let it, you let it marinate too long, and then you get that. Well, what's funnier about that is that Pacquiao's actually like, you know, had a resurgence, and so if they if they remade remade that fight, it might actually give us uh, something, at least something better than what we got the first time around. I don't know about all that. I feel <laughs> like that uh, I'm optimistic, but I don't know if I'm that optimistic. <laughs> yeah, but I, I I'm not saying I, I want yeah. it, but if they did it, I feel like you know. Pacquiao would still be able to give us a, a, a good, would give, be able to give a good showing to Mayweather, and we'll see what Mayweather is just going to be Mayweather, you know, do his Philly roll and, and avoid punches and whatever. I'm sorry, um, but the only way I get excited about that is if it's in Los Angeles. <laughs> sorry. Uh, like, they had their chance, and it, it played out the way it played out. <laughs> it was no. terrible. I mean, yes. not to digress too much, but I remember even like Michael Buffer was sick, his voice sounded terrible, yes. and it was just a curse night. <laughs> Man, oh, like one fight only. And uh, yep. th- Don't get me wrong, they improved for Mayweather McGregor, but the damage was done. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but um, I mean, it, it finally, it was epic waiting for it. Epic Boxing waiting had for their it. night, for sure. Yep. All right, let's talk about, let's get back on track. This isn't Boxing <laughs> Daily, it's MMA Daily. This fight got announced, but because we had a lot of other stuff going on, we didn't talk about it. Tyron Woodley will officially be facing Leon Edwards this March. I believe it's March 21st at UFC London. He goes into Leon Edwards' backyard across the pond to take him on in a welterweight clash. Leon Edwards has said that if he wins, it's in his contract he gets a shot at the title. Natalie, with everything going on in the welterweight division... Is that possible? No, he's just not exciting enough. And, you know, he was the the punchline at the end of, you know, the three-piece with the soda that catapulted Jorge Masvidal into what he is now. But no one really talks about who the guy was that ate the punches, you know, that, that helped coin three-piece with the soda. And I went back and watched his fight with Cerrone and, you know, Obviously, he's talented. He's he's a well-rounded MMA fighter, but it's just not exciting enough to to make a case for pushing somebody else out of a out of a bigger out of a title fighter, a bigger you know money fight at that division. You know he'll get his he'll get his turn, but like Woodley's a bigger name, uh, Colby's still a bigger name, and uh, Masvidal. And I mean, there's just too many people. There's too many people there for him to to pop. He's got to do something. And, like, the only reason he sort of popped was because, again, he ate some punches from Mazadol, but but that was it. So, you know, if he, if, he, if he knocks out Woodley, like, just obliterates him in the first round, okay. 
it's got to be something special, and I don't think that's possible. So I, I think he'll have to get his shot the old-fashioned way, which means just waiting a long time. You know, I, I hear what you're saying. I just feel like when you look at it, Kobe's off a loss, you know, the jaw thing. It's it's not like he's about to yeah. have a quick comeback. I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see him till about late summer, maybe even third quarter. <clears throat> but um, I think with Edwards, the thing that works to his benefit if he were to get the victory is that UFC may may be stuck because it's about negotiating the Conor Habib rematch if that happens, right? And I we've said it, we've discussed it, is that I feel like the only way that UFC kind of gets gets to have the cake and eat it too is if you send Conor back to fight the winner of Habib and Tony, and then, you know, Jorge Masvidal is still likely to be out there by the time that comes together, and Kamar Usman's out. Because of this... With Leon Edwards, and mind you, that's assuming he beats Tyron Woodley. That is a tough fight for him. The wrestling is a very big factor there. But for me, the only way Leon gets a title shot is if Jorge Masvidal gets a fight with Connor. There's just no other way that the fight between Jorge and Kamaru doesn't materialize. Or, you know, I don't want... Because, look, I think I'm a little nervous because he was out so long last year but if something happens to Kamaru where he's out a long time maybe Leon Jorge interim title but just the way the players are set right now um it's just hard for me to see Leon Edwards getting the fight in 2020 and I would hate to say it but anybody else at this point would be like would be a step back let's say he beats Tyron Woodley and while he's waiting, they give him a fight with Kobe Covington. There's still someone you'd probably have to fight, but it's, it still would be a step back when you've clearly earned the title shot. Yeah, but you know what? I just go back to he's not excited enough to, to have that kind of pool, and so he's going to have to kind of circle the wagons a little bit before they just run out of more exciting names. You're just hating on the fundamentals. I'm hating on Leon Edwards a little it's bit. It's because yeah. we're Lakers and we hate on the Spurs because <laughs> exactly. Tim Duncan. Oh, man. I, I do hate Tim Duncan, but I felt bad when I saw the footage of him crying. So yeah, I'll give him that. I mean, I think we all have. The, uh, the one that's um, the T-Mac one really killed me when he talked to Rachel Nichols. Uh, the lady who talked about how she was pregnant when she met Kobe and they talked about having girls. That one was sad. The girl dad one. It's I been didn't rough. see that one. The Jerry West one that Rachel Nichols, her, her interview with Jerry West was pretty sad. Yeah, it's, it, it, let's be honest, they kind of all are at this they point. They all are, man. There's just no way <laughs> You know, it. it's not like it's a ranking system. It's not like the UFC top 10. Yeah. You know? No one needs to win the championship in this. <laughs> you all um, win the saddest interview. It's it's rough, man. It's really yeah, rough. Anyway, yeah. let's get back back on track. <laughs> back to the lighter side. Of Leon Leon Edwards, Tyron Woodley. You know, I, I feel like people, you know, we're ready to get our minds, you know, a, a bit of a distraction in this time, right? Yeah. Um, I like the fight. Look, Leon Edwards is a tough customer, and I think that really this is the big test of uh, respectfully to RDA, respectfully to a lot of the guys he's fought. This is kind of the guy that is like, hey, if you can outlast the wrestling and you could do what you need to do, 
this kind of just puts him in that Kamaru Usman track, right? Where it's like, look, you are going to be able to do this to the at the elite level. No matter who it is, if it's someone athletic, explosive, etc., you're going to have it. So I think it's a good test. That being said, the wrestling and the power on Tyron, that's a big challenge for anybody. He's very good, very high fight IQ. It's a tough fight. It's a good fight. So, you know, and also Leon Edwards is at home. Read into that what you will. I mean, he definitely wants to show out for the people of London, right? So I'm ready for it. Yeah, I mean, that's that, you know, it 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 worked for him last time. Hopefully it'll it'll work for him again. But damn, Tyron Woodley's a tough out. <laughs> for anybody, right? Anybody, yeah. Um, this one, the final news story of the day, kind of broke earlier this afternoon, is the PFL is aiming toward having a new series. They're going to have a bunch of one-night tournaments, if I'm not mistaken, around the globe, with the intention being that, you know, they will find people to fight on the roster late spring in their tournaments in the brackets. So this one by Mr. Brett Okamoto himself, that hardworking reporter he is. Um, they're looking to grow outside of the United States. They're going to the Middle East. I mean, I will say this. I like that they're thinking outside the box to build it because I think that they are responding to the criticism of season two. It was the Kayla Harrison show and, you know, it was it felt just like such a rehash that it was very hard to get as enthusiastic for, quite bluntly, it's tough for anybody to build a big name star in today's, you know, MMA landscape where UFC just has so many events and so many people and Bellator's established and, you know, they haven't been able to play the free agency game until recently with Rory McDonald. So I like that they're trying to build it. I think it's a step in the right direction. Yeah, I think absolutely. I love the creativity. Uh, as you say, thinking outside the box, it's just really intelligent marketing. And it, yeah, season two, I, I, when it started, I was very excited. But then it kind of, my enthusiasm fizzled out. And I really only cared about seeing what happened with Kayla Harrison and Sarah Kaufman and Ray Cooper. Ray Cooper, Roy Cooper, I always get it wrong. Right. And uh, yeah, so there were only a few fighters that I was really interested in seeing, um, watching their progress through the end. And I, I, yeah, initially I thought it was kind of cool that they brought back a lot of the same people, but but obviously it didn't keep my attention. So I like that they're doing this thing, freshen it up. It's interesting though that with any other sport, if you ch- if you changed your whole roster from one year to the next, people would be, you know, thinking you're crazy. But you know, let's not pretend that there isn't a lot of turnover in in, in all sports, just trades and like. Trades like uh, at the beginning of the season, the middle of the season. So it's just par for the course. So if they really want to be like a sport with the regular season, this lines up more with that. Um, this strategy lines up more with the with the big sports than, than what they were doing before. So I, I dig it, man. And I hope that they get some exciting fighters. The The trick, I guess the trouble is, is, is that you're just not going to most likely not know who they are. So it's just getting to you, getting to know the, the fighters. But if they're exciting, if they come out and, and want to earn those six points right away, then hopefully we'll have a good season three. Now, the PFL's big thing is the tournament, right? We all agree on that? Yeah. Here is the tough thing about PFL doing the free agency thing. Or, or not even free agency, but 
If you can't get a free agent, what's the next big thing you could try? Uh, cross promotion, co promotion, yeah. something like that, right? Um, <clears throat> I guess because of the tournament format, you can't just bring somebody in, or you run the risk of okay, let's say you were to bring in uh, hypothetically Chris Cyborg taking on Kayla Harrison after she's won the tournament. You run the risk of devaluing so much because then Chris Cyborg, you can't just have her defend the PFL title. You'd have to lock her into a tournament. Yeah, yeah. And so I think that that's really the tough challenge. I, and, you know, respectfully, I think that's what works PFL. The million-dollar carrot is a good way for a lot of this, like Lance Palmer, great talent that maybe isn't exactly the most um out you know he's a very quiet guy the most marketable in the united states you get some great talent that maybe wouldn't be getting the attention in one of the other promotions and that's what kind of lures them in it's like hey we have the million dollar carrot for you if you could win the tournament i think though that's why this process works for them is because, okay, you could try to scout free agents or scout, you know, fresh, young, building talent because, you know, unless it's free agency, going the other route to try to do something else just really isn't on the table. Yeah, I mean, that's... that's I know, that was a long answer, my bad. No, 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 but that's the tricky thing with with this setup that they have. And so, you know, we'll we'll see... Uh, I was so excited when it first started. I was so excited that it, it landed on ESPN. And I hope, I hope, you know, I don't know what the numbers are, but I hope ESPN keeps trying, working with PFL to build the brand because it's special, it's novel. I want to see it work. And, and hopefully this is a step in the right direction to get more eyeballs. They also need a new song. They've had that um, 30 Seconds to Mars song for the last two seasons. I'm ready for something new. <laughs> I don't even, I don't even, I don't even, like, I'm not even, like, I can't even think of what the song is. The Jared Leto, what is it? No, no, the, I mean, I know the band, but, like, I can't even, like, picture, I know. Like, I don't, I'm not about to sing it on the air. Uh, the pain, when, when, so. we're, when we're off the air, I'll, I'll give you a few bars so you can remember. No, face, face the pain, I'm sure that they can, uh, they yeah. can also, whoever sings that song would, uh, would happily also sign it over, license it to PFL. By the way, Face the Pain was on my, uh, my playlist for, uh, for, for the labor, uh, labor room. Oh. I, <laughs> At what point in the process did it come on? At the at the the final countdown there at the very end. <laughs> oh my gosh, that is cool. When I needed it most. <laughs> that is cool. <laughs> it's like oh, it happened like early on when it wasn't gonna do anything. <laughs> it was. It happened three hours out. It wasn't epic. No, it was like hour twenty nine. That's when I. That's when I turned it on. <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I'm just saying. But no, I mean, look, a lot of stuff. I'm going to put faith in them that they're going to try to figure out what they can within, you know, you know, within the system, right? I'm sure that they're, they're thinking about it. That's why they have the big bucks. Anyway, that is it for this week's show. Next week, it is finally here. By the way, I read this stat. Natalie, this is our last week off from regular, you know, big MMA action starting next week. There will be a UFC event every week going right through April. Wow. 
Yes. That's amazing. Okay. <laughs> We're going to be busy. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. It's like, man, should have taken that vacation when I had the chance. Yep. No, but um, look, it means we're working. It means we have stuff to discuss. That is all positive, in my opinion. Um, to dis- Let's look ahead a little bit. I know you are excited for this one. The co-main event, UFC 247, Valentina Shevchenko, Caitlin Chukagian. Very bluntly, if Valentina wins this, is Amanda Nunes the only one left for her? Yeah, pretty much. Unless you do, you know, the whole conveyor belt thing, which is, which happens, and that's fine. Um, but but yeah, it, either it's Nunez or if Weili Zhang wants to go up to one twenty five, you know, do that too. But um, yeah, the, that's that's what's next. She's too special. You got to give her a, a um, an opportunity to have some more big shine, and then you know she can go back to one twenty five and continue feasting on the uh the other uh the other fighters there gotcha i no i i really think so too i think that um i mean what's kind of left i feel like i know they don't like talking about each other but it's kind of like amanda nunez and valentina shevchenko are kind of doing that batman and joker thing it's like the you know they just kind of have keep circling and circling but they just keep colliding with each other you know um, it's not as cool as Gotham City, but I just feel like that's, <laughs> they're locked in this eternal, you know. The, yeah, like a face-off the, the, where they the, never, nobody ever attacks. The, what is, unstoppable force and the immovable object kind of deal. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so there you are. Uh, John Jones versus Dominic Reyes. I'm gonna say this. I am feeling, probably since the Max Holloway fight, I'm more of a believer than I probably was about six months ago in Dominic Reyes getting the upset. I really do feel like, not to say he's going to do it necessarily, but this fight, you know, it is not as a lock as a lot of people think it is. This is a tough young guy with nothing to lose. It is John Jones, but I think we've had it proven stuff happens in this sport every day. Dude, I am with you 100%, especially after seeing him on um, uh, the Food Truck Diaries with Brendan Shaw, watching that interview. Like, He's got great energy, young, confident man, tall, rangy, athletic. Like, I like everything he's saying. I like his attitude. I'm smelling an upset, too. You know, I'm going to dig into it more, obviously, before our next show, watch, all, watch both of their uh, previous fights. But, you know, John Jones is... is um, I think I've heard people say it, and I agree. He's fighting, I wouldn't say scared, but he's fighting more cautiously these days, you know? He wants to hold on to that belt, and and that's how he's fighting. So we'll see, man. We'll see. I mean, I don't know. I feel like you have... Who doesn't fight scared against Thiago Santos, though? I mean... Okay, okay. (laughs) I give you that one. With the guy that has the Thor hammer tattooed on his body yeah, I, I mean even with two shot knees the dude was still throwing heat true true I mean you think Macy Barber was tough look at that man no but um look fun stuff we will be back next week to talk about all of that going on if any news breaks you know you guys already know Tuesday night is kind of turning into our night at MMA daily so stay tuned we will be back next week and until then have a good one